Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Constructive Criticism. I'm your host, Easy, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, a man who doesn't understand countdowns, Mason Clark. Counting is more of an idea than really like a concept, you know? Is that right? Mm-hmm. And the man who thinks that math is for blockers, Abe Stein. I actually hate that phrase so much, but that's fine. Math is definitely for attackers, too. What if we start some propaganda and say math is for winners? That's like, true, though. I like that, though. Combat math is definitely for winners. Did you know that counting down is kind of like math, Mason? Yeah, but only, like, theoretically speaking. But, like, in practice, it's more like a, like a spiritual concept. Like, when does it end and when does it start is such a, like, it, you know what? This is, for, this is for the patrons only. We can't be having this conversation on the show. This, this deep. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you are the Patreon-only episode, you can head on over to patreon.com slash ccmtg to get that, as well as some other awesome benefits. Uh, we do have a new patron this week. So shout out to Rodney Bedell, our newest patron. Rodney, actually, um, I messaged you on Melee, um, but I couldn't find you in the Discord after the tournament. But uh, Rodney actually uh, signed up for the $10 Diamond tier, got free entry into our tournament this weekend. And also, I, uh, as additional prizes, I love giving extra prizes to ninth place. And Rodney happened to take ninth and bubble out. So, Rodney, we actually have $20 store credit for you to our other sponsor, Game Grid Lehigh. So, yeah, shoot us a message on Patreon with uh, the email that you use and we'll get you set up. I, I know Rodney pretty well. I know he brings a lot of cards to people. That $20 is going to go a long way to someone else having a deck they need for the tournament. And that's just paying it forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to call out that Mason said he was going to go short-sleeved hoodie this entire podcast and didn't even make it until the episode started. It's cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, not this season. If it was kind of like the countdown, it's more of an idea of being a short-sleeved hoodie. You, you know, can't I just like... hide behind everything saying it's just an idea, Mason. That's just not how the world works. Now, Abe, that's an interesting philosophy from you, and I just disagree on that. Speaking of interesting philosophies, I want to talk about always improving before Abe rips off Mason's face for being belligerent. Uh, always improving is the point of the show. And honestly, it's it's one that I have been thinking about a lot lately, but we'll get into mine after you go, Mason. Yeah, now this is an idea I can get behind in always improving. So my always improving moment this week comes from, from Hammer Time. So I, I recently got the Hammer deck. Um, I've been trying to learn some about Hammer. I've been trying to play the deck because it's a deck where I felt like uh, I could not play it. Excuse me. I could not play it to the proficiency that I wanted to. Uh, and kind of where I feel like I'm at a general player compared to how well I can play Hammer Time. So I wanted to work on that. In a very similar way to last year, listeners might remember where I was like, I was very unhappy that I just couldn't tell you everything about Yogg and like how the Yogg combo worked. And I was like, I want to learn that so that when I play against it, I understand better and while i think i have a good understanding playing against hammer i think playing with hammer is very different uh especially when a lot of my experience is from playing four colors so i really wanted to learn hammer and really learn like the cyborg slots and what matter and the thing that i kind of came away from learning is uh a lot of things this week but the biggest one is ee where i'm sorry uh pithy needle and i the moment where it kind of clicked was talking to abe and i don't want to take too much from his always improving moments that might be there but Abe was talking about how he sideboarded versus Murktide uh, after playing in an RCQ. And like kind of, we were playing almost the exact same list. And he was like, how would you sideboard? I sent him hit, he sent his. 
and it, like occurred to me like oh abe is bringing in pithy needle to stop ee that's really smart maybe i should be bringing pithy needle in in matchups that are not just like belcher or whatever you know where like the pithy needle is lights out and i should use it to stop things like uh Besaju, which I was kind of already doing, but I was a little unsure. Like, is this actually good to be pithing needling Besaju out of Besaju ran in six decks? And just stuff like that. And so that that was a big level moment for me of like realizing pithing needle can be more than just a hard hitting hammer in the matchup. Sometimes it can just be this like tool that you use along the way. Yeah, pithing needle is it's really good at generating space. You just you're like, you know what? No ease this game. Guys, we're not doing it. No run and sixing. We're done with it. It's not happening. Really, really valuable. I'm glad that that was that was value to you. Um, since we're kind of on the topic of hammer time, I don't know if Spencer, you had anything to say about that, but I'm going to talk a little bit about um, something that I came away from, and actually that same conversation um, after playing hammer at and at Narski over the weekend, like Mason said, um, I was playing against Merktide in the top eight, and really all week I finally got to really get back into. Because I had modern RCQs coming up. Um, I've got another two slaughter this weekend. Hopefully where I will be able to get over my curse of losing in top fours playing for the invite. But um, really seeing how cards that have uh, have really entered the format from Brothers War and also from uh, Yorion leaving the format and how it's really changed um, and how it's changed Hammer's positioning has been a really, really big thing that I've done this week. Um, Specifically, how Brotherhood's End has changed um, the Merktide matchup is something I didn't really appreciate to the full extent of it before. And so the conversation we were having was actually because I was... I usually board out and don't want any copies of Blacksmith skill in my deck against um, against Merktide when I'm playing Hammer because most of my philosophy is that I will get the game to a certain point where drawing Pure Steel Paladin will just win the game because all of the residual hammers that I have in play or like a Sanctifier and Vec plus a single equip will be so hard for the uh, the Merchite player to beat because their answers are bad against a lot of my game plan and the residual value of me like trying to have those interactions winds up adding up in the end game. But Brotherhood's End, especially the just the ability to blow up all of the artifacts that are sitting around makes that entire game plan so different and so much less accessible. And since like two copies of that card has become stock, um, I've actually found it's more, and after talking with uh, with Mason and with um, Jarvis and with uh, Will Kruger about it, it's much more important now to be able to protect very specific threats than it was and like you can actually get run out of the important cards to the point where having some number of blacksmith skills, not to like, oh, you're going to unholy hate my thing that I'm protecting it, but more so just to make sure that you can increase the amount of times that you have the right quantity of these cards that you see and don't get shut out of like, oh, well, they cleared up all my hammers uh, that were in play. Like I had to, now I need to go and find another one um, or like, you know, they bolted my Pure Steel Paladin response while I was equipping to something else, but I really wish I could keep this for one more equip, even if they're going to spend another bolt on it or or whatever on the next turn. Um, that's been really, really an important dynamic that I've, I've reconsidered, and just a lot of things like that over the course of the format um, that I've been I've been getting back in touch with with Hammer. So that was me this week. Awesome. Um, I uh, personally this week for me has been um, kind of scouring standard quite a bit um 
we have uh i i'm going to be doing coverage for a huge weekend here in a couple weeks where they have a saturday and a sunday 2k rcqs at gig grid um but lots of teammates that aren't qualified still that are going to be playing in that so kind of understanding standard and looking at the format um i kind of i kind of want to talk about having good mental and around standard right now though because I, I think well maybe not just having good mental but like having a good mindset around standard right now is really important people are really easy to think that like there needs to be another band like Rixus is busted or whatever and I, I have been playing a lot of standard and I do not believe that that is true and one of the reasons that I came to that conclusion is actually I've been spending most of my time playing Grixis and um also i got to, to to see some of the coverage that we'll we'll be dropping a video for this week um on our youtube channel for our event and there was a really interesting play where uh, uh from a mono red player in our tournament that you'll i'm not going to spoil it but it was the craziest match of magic i've ever watched um that goes to kind of show like as as Abe would put it, just the ability to use the buffalo and like all the different pieces of your deck and the things that you're doing is really important in this standard format. Um, and looking through deck lists, I can really see the people that understand that and how they're building their decks. You know, whether they're playing three plus Shieldred in their Grixis deck, whether they're whether they're playing things that actually kill Shieldred, whether they're actually playing things that um you know that changed the game plan around so that's not about certain cards right whether that be sheltered whether that be fabled the mirror breaker whether the be corpse appraiser i'm mentioning all these cards from this deck but the reason that the deck is so good is because it forces you into this like mid-range war um that you don't have to participate in um and so like uh a really good example of decks that like get around this are people who play mono blue or people that play um we actually had chase uh one of our patrons took second place with this mono white midrange deck that just dumpstered grixis all day long at this tournament and just like understanding and the reason is because he made the game about six six mana big spells rather than the cheap little aggressive stuff that, that Grixis is doing. So it's consuming standard is my always improving, but I think that even more than that is having a good frame of mind when looking at standard has also been really important and something that I should do in other formats too, because I often will like, oh, I'm going to disregard this format because it clearly has the best deck, but that doesn't give you an edge. So. Yeah. I, if I can add on to what you're saying there too, I think, one thing that we have seen time and time again, and then for our new little like arena children and zoomers that are cropping up over the pandemic, and they haven't seen this before, is that a format will get to a place where it looks to kind of be solved. Then the pro tour will happen or the RC will happen or some reason to really focus on a format will happen. And then everything kind of changes and things that look to be truths are kind of broken wide open. And I think, uh, actually this past standard format before this one where the, the narrative was esper 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 you know all the way across the board and then we saw you know grixis as a deck that could combat esper and then got some upgrades in the new set and things kind of changed and now it's kind of the new deck that everyone's like 
this, this, this. And the same in Pioneer is another example where it's like, hey, like Monogreen's the only thing you can be doing. It's so good, blah, blah, blah. And Monogreen is really good, but there are other things you can do. And the format has kind of uh, moved and gotten better at fighting Monogreen. And so there are more like viable deck choices and decks that, you know, previously seemed to be unwinnable from green. Green made some choices in their deck select, the deck construction. And these decks made choices in, in like response to green doing things. And now it's much even more even in a world of like Lotus Field, where one of the biggest reasons not to play Lotus Field six months ago is, oh, your green matchup's unwinnable. But people didn't try like, well, what happens if I put a bunch of pithy needles on my sideboard and silences? If I do that, can I beat mono green? And that kind of lack of trying that Spencer's talking about and kind of giving up because the format is solved is a really good way to be really average at Magic forever. So. Yeah, I actually think the mono green comparison is like actually a really good one. And there's just no pressure on this standard format at all. And it it, it really shows when you like watch people who like work on a deck and then, uh, I, yeah, I, I think that like Grixis has some bad matchups, and it it goes to show. It was really shocking to me to see zero mono blue in our entire tournament. That was shocking to me too. I did not know we had zero mono blue. That's also there, so cheap that yeah. it's really weird not to see anyone have it. Yeah, I I was I was like, this has a really good Grixis matchup, and also it's like eleven dollars. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> so interesting. Uh, that is going to do it for Always Improving. I want to remind everybody, we just had our awesome event. We gave away $620 in credit to our sponsor at Game Grid Lehigh, um, almost getting to a full 1K. I mean, it was really funny. Uh, Andrew Elliott, one of our patrons, messaged me. He's like, hey, like, what is it? Are we going in prizes to top 16? And I was thinking about it like the prizes to top 16 would have just made it a free event, right? It just would have. That's, well, that's what we did last time for what it's worth. Like last time. We actually just gave everyone their entry fee back, and then they just played for the 500. Um, and this time, I wanted to be different, and uh, we, so we gave we gave additional prizes to the top: fifty dollars to first, fifty dollars to second, twenty dollars to to ninth place. And like, uh, it was really well received for the players. Um, it was nice to see a little bit of growth this time. We had uh, I think six more players. We had nineteen players, so I guess we had we had five more players this time um, for arena and for standard. Um, but that being said, um, there will be coverage that Mason and I will be doing uh, that will drop probably on Thursday on the YouTube channel of the top eight. And the next one, um, because we're going to follow our theme, Abe, what is our next format? Our next format is going to be Pioneer again. Yep. We're, we're going to continue to support the competitive community by having our open reflect whatever the format is for the regional championships. Um, and that that's just going to be our rule moving forward. We want to give you a place to practice, especially for people already qualified. That was some huge feedback that we got both for this one and the last one. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't play RCQs anymore. And, uh, you know, I want to play Magic. And, like, also because I can play RCQs, like, I can't play Pioneer. Uh, it, and so we want to continue to support that. And we want to thank Gangrid Lehigh for giving us an opportunity to give back to the community. Um, really cool. We had, once again, another person in top eight that... Um, you know, couldn't use the game grid uh, credit, but still found a way to, you know, he, he you know sell his credit off, and it's it's just really cool to to see people support the podcast like that. So, any anybody else have anything to say on that before we move on? It's just cool to see, and can't wait to see it grow more. Yep, uh, I am really sick today, so normally I would be hosting the next segment, 
but I am actually going to throw it to Mason. I know this is breaking the rules, doing it, breaking the show notes, Mason. But my tummy hurts, man. I need you to, I need you to take over here. What is our main topic? Yeah, so our training grounds this week is developing a good mental game. It's kind of what we're working on here. And what we mean by mental game, before I really hop into this, is it's kind of thinking about your mindset and your approach towards the game and kind of the way you want to work on and interact with magic and sort of keeping your headspace. And so this can be a thing from as simple as like, excuse me, as simple as not tilting, but also just like staying uh, focused on your goals and magic and things like that. So having a good mental game is more than just in the moment, not tilting. And we're going to kind of cover some of those things here today. Yeah. And I think most of our training grounds, if you like look historically, um, you know, there, there are some that cover, you know, your mental game, but often we're like talking about more technical things or more preparation as parts of your game. Right. And this is really diving into something that I think we'll get into this just at the beginning, but like something that you have to internalize yourself. Like we can't give you a good mental, right? Like that's, we can help you prep. We can help you improve your technical play. Uh, Abe, there's nothing I can do to help someone with their mental. Like other than. Yeah. It's such a, such a hard thing. Cause it really has to come very internally. Like someone has to really want to change the way that they do things such that they don't feel negative about the way that they're engaging with the game in a way that hurts their mental game right in a way that they can actively give their attention and want to give their attention consistently to the games they're playing all of it it's like the biggest thing that i think is really hard for a lot of magic players even some of the greatest magic players i know have had a really um really tough time with playing you know consistently especially as you know, a lot of players um, for the first time, maybe even are experiencing like the RCQ grind playing magic weekend after weekend. And especially when you're not seeing the results or you're making mistakes and you're noticing them, being able to process that while also keeping your eye on the prize of improving is such a necessary skill to improve um, to the, to the heights that you might want to, if you're listening to this podcast. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, like, like I know we're going to talk about um, making that active choice is something that has to come from you. And it's probably the hardest thing you can do, but it's definitely the most rewarding thing you can do for the way that magic works for you. Yeah. And what Abe is saying there is kind of our first point of making the active choice to work on this, where if you are listening to this episode, you might just be part of your routine, but in theory, you're probably wanting to work on your mental game, work on this sort of thing. And you have to decide that this is a thing that you want to dedicate time and energy to working on and being active about and doing your best to not let it slip up. And it's going to make uh, everything a lot easier to succeed in magic and a lot easier at improving at this. If you're actively having a mindset of wanting to work on this and maintain that sort of good mental game, that sort of good relationship with magic in some ways, where if you don't have that, it's going to be much harder to kind of tell like, am I burnt out? Am I like having the wrong goals or is this just variance, et cetera? It's just a much harder experience if you don't make the active choice to work on this and think about this. Yeah. I, I did a YouTube video series on how to improve at magic for the, for our YouTube channel years and years ago. And this was like the first video I did. And people actually asked me like, why did you, why did you make this video? Because I, I don't, I think this is a huge important step because it, it brings a level of self-awareness to the thing that you're doing that nothing else can do, right? Like 
Mason, you talked about it. it's an active choice, right? You're you are sitting down and you're saying it the 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 thing that I'm working on is a little nebulous. It's a little outside of you know the the games that I'm playing to prepare. It's a little outside of my sideboard plans. It's a little outside of my technical play. It is, hey, how can I improve my frame of mind around this game? And I think it's huge. I, I think that um, you put you you put it in the show notes. I'm just going to read it. If you don't choose to be mindful of this, it's going to be uh, much harder than not. And I think that you used so many good words in the show notes of just an act of choice, being mindful. It, it's it sounds so easy. But the second that you're not mindful of it, it means that your active choice didn't matter. Yeah, and I think it might be important to talk to listeners about exactly how this is maybe going to impact them in games as well. Because I think that while we did a good job at the beginning of setting up the mental and talking about, like, this is important, this is the thing you should work on, take a moment and close your eyes, listeners, unless you're driving, in which case pay attention to the road, and think about that time you were in a tournament and you were playing against somebody and they made a mistake or they did something wrong and they started to tilt off, and then they made a bunch more mistakes, and a game that was totally winnable no longer became winnable. That is like a real-world ramification of having a good mental game, and sort of working on this is, if you're able to kind of check yourself and work on these things that we're going to talk about in this episode, it can have real ramifications to your game, because just because you make one mistake in a game does not mean that game is over. You might be behind where you were three seconds ago, but it does not mean you have 100% lost the game every single time. And a lot of people act and treat themselves in like they have not only lost this game, but dishonored their family by doing so. And that's just not a good mindset to have when we're talking about this. Uh, and I think that's just an important thing. And it's kind of important to like lay out why we're talking about this in like a actual in-game application as well, as long with having a lot of better mental health stuff. And we'll talk about that some too. I, I think uh, what you just said, uh, one of first of all, um, my family couldn't give two rats behinds whether I do well at a match tournament. I'm one of the unlucky ones, but two, uh, I think that what you just said is really important here. Of in the reverse as well, because the nerve I we had a I was years ago where I started losing games that I was ahead in a lot, and the reason is because I stopped paying attention. I got lazy when I was ahead. That is also part of this mental game, right? So it, it's not just your happy feel goods. It's also like your, uh, is it mental fortitude is the word I'm looking for? Like your mental strength in these, these type of moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's totally important. Like not only as a sense of like, Oh, you know, not getting tilted, but also, staying focused and staying honed in on on what it is you're trying to do and what it is that the game is about um rather than you know like if you're someone who gets distracted easily and like forgets their game plan halfway through the game sometimes that's a weak mental that that's a weak mental game issue because you're not able to to engage with the game fully the whole way through and in the same way that if you get frustrated with yourself or lose sight of the game because you make a mistake uh like on turn three of like what creature you play like those are things you can come back from but if you completely stop caring and completely disengage right then that's a that's a real ramification and if at any point you're ever losing sight of it and disengaging like 
That's just making it so that you are costing yourself those games by not paying attention when you could have won. Yeah. Also, getting ahead of yourself and thinking you've already won when you haven't is another ramification of this. And like, you're like, oh, I've won this round. How am I going to sideboard? Or like, oh, I'm so close to top eight. Oh, oh I'm going to go get Indian food. Dude, the number. <laughs> that was such a good call out. Did you mean to do that? No, it's just a, a sign of a poor mental game. Wait, hold on. You actually did not know the story behind this? <laughs> no, I did not. Oh my gosh. This has to be on this podcast because it's so good. Uh, episode 13 of Constructive Criticism. We have John Finkel on the episode. Casey mm-hmm. Bloodworth asks him, like, what were you thinking in this exact moment? And he says, quote, I don't know. I was probably thinking of what food I want. It's probably Indian. <laughs> <laughs> The goat. The absolute goat. Yeah, if you're as good as John Finkel, then you're welcome to do that. Only John Finkel can think about Indian food at the table. Yeah. Only John Finkel. He's yeah, but- I think it was like, what are you thinking about like when you like when you have these hard turns and like you're gonna top eat another proto or something like something like that? And he's like, I don't know, probably thinking about what I want for dinner, probably Indian food. Anyway, that was that was like such a good throwback. Uh uh go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. Yeah, but, you know, to kind of move on to the next thing, I think a big part of the mental game is being honest with yourself about what you want out of your time and the thing you and what you want out of magic, right? Because a lot of times, I think uh, a sign of the bad mental when it comes to tilting and stuff like that, or expectations is people like, oh, well, I didn't really try that hard for this tournament. I didn't put myself in the best place to succeed before the tournament. I was just playing, you know, the SCG that that was in town. And then suddenly they're 8-0 at the tournament. And they start losing, right? And it's okay to like be disappointed with your play, etc. But also, don't judge yourself, compare yourself to you know, like I don't know, Reed Duke with somebody who put a bunch of time in and prepared a bunch for the tournament or someone else, right? Because you didn't come in with that expectation, that mindset, and that is going to like set yourself up for failure in spots when you don't, uh, when you when you suddenly goalpost shift on yourself. And this can be true for lots of things when it comes to Magic, but specifically, I think for tournaments, this comes up a lot where it's just be honest about what you want out of this and out of your time. And it's totally cool if the answer is like, yeah, Mason, I want to like cash some NRGs and play a couple RCs every year. And it's like, that's dope. But don't be like super mean to yourself and beating yourself down when you're not top 48ing every RC and not top eighting every NRG. Yeah. I also think that people want to have the same goals as the people that they look up to, but that's not realistic. Like, uh it's just that one you just shouldn't have the symbols as anybody like that's not only just the people you look up to but like um you actually mentioned something that i might disagree with and i want to talk about it mason you talked mm-hmm. about shifting goalposts and i actually remember a time that i was uh i started seven one at a gp or maybe it was eight and one what were the old gp long days i don't remember how long they were Nine months. yeah so it was eight and one um, my goal was to go to the Pro Tour, so I hadn't gone to my first Pro Tour yet. Um, and um, I uh, draft starts day two. I have a best the best understanding I've ever had of the Lumen format, and I actually uh, won two my first draft. So I no longer can go to the Pro Tour. Uh, and I I needed to shift my goal. I needed to because I didn't want that to ruin my event. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get my first pro point. That's what I'm going to do now. And I think that one of the things that you have in the show notes that I really like, Mason, is actually, what do you want at the time? You find yourself 
Edo at a at a Grand Prix. Do do you shift your mindset? Are you capable of shifting your mindset? I, I think that's that's an important question to ask yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think that specifically like the idea of shifting your goalposts, it depends on I think it's like moving your goalposts too far ahead of yourself when you're in the moment because like maybe you run hot and you like you know, you didn't really prepare for the event, you're the hometown hero, now you're running hot, you're eight oh going in the last round, maybe nine oh day one of this two day event. It's your year, it's your time, everyone's hyping you up, and then that night you can't sleep, you bomb out the next day, and like you could be devastated, even though going in, you came in saying, you know, I just really want to hang out with my friends this weekend. And it's really dangerous when you don't align your goals with your expectations of yourself, because as soon as you, you can wind up overextending yourself, I think is more, most of what I saw from Mason's point, but, um, you know, to what you were saying, Spencer, like I personally used to have a big issue with my mental game where as soon as I was, cause I was like, I want to win the tournament. I want to qualify for the pro tour. Same way. Every PTQ, every like GP, every open, I was like, I want to do this. And the second I was out of it, I was done. I crumbled. I was like, I don't care anymore. It's like, whatever. Yeah, I had the I'm same issue. Like... That's why I had to have that mental shift. It was like, no, I'm not letting this ruin my best start to a GP ever. Like, that's not... I will achieve something out of this preparation and this time. And I think, for what it's worth, I do now understand what Mason was saying, so I apologize if I came across, like, uh, combative. No, I mean, I, I just want to say that, like, uh, you know, setting your goals is the foundation of what you expect of yourself. And that's really what makes it easiest to have a good mental game is that you, and we've talked about this on many episodes. I, I think I talked about it a bit on episode 400 um, about just always improving. Um, and I talked about it on my first episode when I joined the podcast, which was about setting goals, but just how those things reflect onto what you expect of yourself and how you see yourself in those moments and the way that you want to engage when those are aligned that's really really powerful in making sure that you are going to be playing in a way and thinking in a way and acting in a way that's going to help you achieve those goals and the second that you try to move move things outside of bounds for yourself and you expect too much of yourself you're setting yourself up to disappoint yourself because you haven't done the other things that involve your goals to uh to make sure that you have a good chance of, of achieving that new goal that you're setting for yourself just because it now seems like it's something you could reach. Yeah, I think what Abe was saying there was what I was trying to get across. So hopefully that makes more sense after we talked about it a little bit there. But yeah, I, I think just to kind of maybe bow tie this point slash open it up to a new thing. A lot of it to me when I think about the goals is that like, and this is a weird thing too, where I, I maybe have like a different personal goal than a lot of people do where like my one goal always for every tournament I ever play is to be better than the Mason that played the last tournament. Right. So like my goal post is very, very high because in theory, I want to reach like at the end of my magic career, I want to be so astronomically better than myself at the beginning that it's like almost unthinkable. And I want to be better than the version of me from the last one and improve in some way at every single one. And so falling short, excuse me, falling short and not succeeding at the tournament itself is just a thing to help me improve towards my main goal and makes it doable. And if I don't qualify for the pro tour, it doesn't mean I'll never qualify. 
It just means I didn't do it this time and I've learned a new thing. And so I've moved up the post just a little bit. If you think about it, like climbing up a post, you know, and I'm just going to use what I learned from there to improve. So I think sometimes that's different where I've never really had the mindset of like, I'm going to win this tournament, like at a big GP thing. And like, unless I get into the position where that's doable. And then it's like, okay, now that I can like reach this goal, I'm going to do this because I'm always trying to do the goal of like learn and improve and play the best magic I can. Um, and that's kind of like my guiding light when it comes to everything. And there are sub goals of like, I want to win the RCQ or whatever. But if I like lose at the RCQ, it doesn't mean I'm an idiot or something, or I'm never going to succeed. You know, it's just a thing. And this kind of ties us into the next point of separating yourself from your results, which is a big thing where I think a lot of people are mental where a lot of people in magic are only as good as their last tournament results. And so, you know, if they qualified for the RC, they're great. They're the best to ever do it. And then they go and they qualify, you know, and they got their little foil to fairy and they go and they play their local RCQ. I guess you can't play our, the next season comes around with the RCQ. Foils are they giving out at your RCQs in Tennessee, man? That's what the RC itself. Yeah, I got it. All right, got it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's a foil to fairy five. I can't remember his actual name, but yeah. You know, you go and next RCQ season comes or whatever. You took a little break. You play and you go one, two, and you're like, I'm an idiot. I'm the worst Magic player ever. And it's like, that's not true. And you need to, like, separate yourself from your results. And, like, your last tournament doesn't define you. Heck, your last five tournaments don't define you as a player. It's, like, a much bigger thing. And so really separating oneself and one's ego from how they do in Magic, I think it's a huge level-up moment for someone in Magic. And it's, I think, I would argue, pivotal to having a good mental. I don't know how y'all feel about it. I mean, I just want to say that in what we just talked about, in talking about bad mental habits that me and Spencer used to have, both of them were directly related to viewing what we wanted and our success in the event as a function of the results of the event and where we finished. And the reason that I am able to have a strong mental game is because I stopped coupling those two things together and started my solution to, instead of disengaging as soon as I can no longer top eight, is going to be, I'm going to engage with every match. As soon as the pairings are up, I am on. This is my time to to go out there and play my best magic. It is battle time. I must go and wage war. And I come back either having played my best or not playing my best, but ideally playing my best and trying to win. And as soon as I started doing that, I really hit a huge, not just like growth spurt in the way that I was like approaching the game and what I was feeling about playing every weekend and all of that, but also like the results really started to to flow in from places where like I would lose round one of a tournament. The actual first time I qualified for the Pro Tour, I lost round one of the RCQ of the RPTQ. Lost it. I was playing Rally the Ancestors. I lost to Abzan Blue bad matchup they just got me and then i was like you know what i have lost round one of a tournament before and i am still able to qualify for the pro tour today i'm going to play out every round and do my best and that's exactly what i did and before there's definitely so many versions of myself who would have just looked at that and been like yep not my not my time again i'm so unlucky i can't believe it like i put in all this time testing i invested so much I'm 0-1, everything's terrible, and I wouldn't have gone into the rest of my rounds with the mindset of, I'm just going to play my match and let it figure itself out. And I think that really being able to say, you know, 
where I place in the tournament and my record in the tournament didn't define what I did today is it, it feels like it is the prerequisite to being able to really engage with magic in the way that you're able to to skyrocket and improve to, to huge degrees because otherwise it is too hard because magic makes too many losers at magic tournaments to feel good about yourself while engaging with your hobby and it, it's it's so freeing to even just set a rule for yourself like you know what if i go five and two today and don't make top eight i shouldn't feel worse than if i top eight it because if i just lost my my second round or whatever if i, if I won those five in a row I would have been in top eight. Things like that, like really just decoupling your own personal results from, you know, where you place and how it ends is so big. I, I can't emphasize it enough. Yeah, I mean, I just had to pull up my ELO project just to make sure. Uh, between Grand Prix Salt Lake, which in 2014, which was that tournament that I was talking about earlier, uh, didn't play, didn't get to do much. Um, the only other Grand Prix I played, I... Uh, you know, I it was in Vegas. I was probably drunk. My next tournament after that was literally Pro Tour Origins. Um, I I think that the the thing that what's so funny to me about this too is that um we had like our team had like five Pro Tour qualifications from zero after that moment too. Like it it was it wasn't just pivotal for me. It was changing my mindset and and also impacted those that I work with closely like it um sorry I'm like getting emotional now and also there's like a helicopter outside my house I apologize to the podcast listeners um the the thing is is about like separating yourself from the results is it's not that your results don't matter it's that they're not the thing they're not they are an indicator they are a part of the equation. They aren't the the solution. Um, and it's it's hard to do that. Um, I think about I think about um, other other games and and games that talk a lot about this concept of like having a good mental game between like poker or fighting games. Um, and magic is in a really interesting place where there you've got variants so it's easy to blame those you've got um you know you've got outside factors that are easy to blame and i don't think often enough we blame our mental when we when that is actually the thing that's causing holding us back um and when we look at a result um and it might not be a result of it might not even be like the result of the tournament. Maybe it's the result of a game or even an interaction in Magic that the mental was actually the problem. But it's really hard to see that on a granular scale. But if you look at it on that scale, it's a lot easier to separate yourself from that final result. 100%. I, I think that I had kind of as another point I think ties into this perfectly a little out of order though is winning and losing doesn't matter. Playing well is what matters. And it's kind of setting yourself up for these kind of bigger picture, long-term goals of understanding that typically playing magic is a long-term hobby. People who play magic and compete typically do it. I think the data from Watsu was like four to seven years on average. And so if you look at that and you're like, okay, let's just pretend your magic career ends in seven years, right? 
then you're planning to have a lot of tournaments over those seven years. And playing, like winning and losing doesn't matter. Playing well is what matters. And having that sort of long-term growth mindset of, hey, this is a marathon, not a 100-meter dash. I'm in this for the long haul. I'm going to do my best at improving. My, my results don't matter. What matters just is how long am I able to keep this up and improve and learn from my mistakes. And so um, I think that's a really important thing that like we're kind of talking about, uh, but is like an important way to think about and frame your relationship with magic is that this is a big commitment. Typically it doesn't have to be for you, but typically that's how it is for magic players, especially if you found a competitive magic, the gathering podcast. So, <laughs> you know, uh, understanding that I think is very important. Yeah, I mean, we when you talk about magic and think about magic, like the dream for a long time was I'm going to chain off Pro Tours for a long time. Magic is not something you get into and try to really improve yourself at and get good at because you want to be good at it for a year or, you know, you want to win three tournaments. It really is. And what makes it such a fantastic hobby and such a great sync to me is that like, it does always have that return and always have that engagement. And it's that opportunity to pursue playing better. The same way that some people fall in love with golf for the same reasons of like, I know I can play a better round. I know that I can, you know, things will always be a little different, but I can handle those situations on the fly and I can be, I can do better than I did the last time is such a unique aspect of magic not only in the sense that you get to do that but also in a competitive way against someone directly and so really just focusing on that aspect of it making sure that the decisions you're making are the ones that are the best for you instead of honing in on well yeah i played bad but uh you know i still won or like oh well this was the wrong play but it wound up winning the game so that was good that i made the wrong play things like that are really really damaging to you um and it's also really damaging to like beat yourself up over like, oh, I made the wrong play and won. I shouldn't have won. But what really matters is identifying, did you make the right play? Are you, are you focusing on the games well? Are you making the good plays? Um, because all of those things add up over the course of your career to you know whatever your accomplishments are, because there is so much variance in the game and there is so much, um, so much opportunity that you have that it takes time to all add up. So. Yeah, the, the longer horizon you can think about on Magic, the less pressure you'll put on yourself to really focus on the wins and losses, I feel. And um, that is is very, very good at fostering uh, fostering growth mindset. I don't know how you feel about it, Spencer. No, I, I agree 100%. I, I don't actually have a lot to I think you guys covered this one really well. Awesome. Well, the, the next point that we have here is focusing on what you can control. And I think this is like, a really big thing from players is they start hyper-focusing on things they can't control. Like, for example, oh, I got paired into two Belcher players or whatever, and stuff like that, where it's like, you can't control that. Or, oh, I lost the dice roll. You can't control that. These are just things that happen and are kind of part of, honestly, part of life. I, I think Magic has done a really good job for this in life with me, where it is like when things pop up that I can't control, I am much better at them just kind of rolling off and sort of accepting for what they are than I think a lot of other people in my life who don't 
play magic and don't engage that way where it's like oh the like you know i know like i know the toilet broke after 20 years we gotta get a new one it's like yeah toilets are gonna break we gotta get a new one oh well you know it's gonna suck that we have to wait for the plumber but whatever you know and like this is a thing that happens or you you know get a fender bender or something like that these are just things that happen and you can control the driving part but sometimes your car's just parked and someone else hits your car this drives my wife crazy i know that Mm -hmm. like mason you're dating a magic player but like my this drives my wife insane it's like how can you how are you so calm about this well we didn't do anything wrong like what what were we gonna do like it's not our fault (laughs) (laughs) stretch is like this is like you know shit shit sorry i'm gonna say it but like shit happens like this is part of life and the truth is is sometimes it's part of magic too yeah (laughs) yeah i mean that's that is how like i just relate so heavily to what you just said about like both of you just said even about like they're just people who just don't get it in the way of like yeah i don't know how can i play around that that happened how can i play around it i the other the other month at work my car was parked in the parking lot someone was not paying attention backed up at a parking space just hit my car and i was like how am i gonna play around that that just happens like you know and it's like you can't the second that things like that don't get you at all or like yeah they can get you a little bit yeah it's you you can be upset like, we're not yeah, the second you that you're can't... able to, like, take a breath and shrug those off in the moment to be able to stay level-headed and do what you need to do to take care of that. Like, for me, it was like I was in work at my job, like, doing something, and I had to go out and get the insurance information and everything, and, like, I was frazzled, and, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a second. I'm going to take a breath. Let me get all the information, deal with it after work, figure out what my plan is right now, and then do that, and then move on. And that same skill for magic of like okay like my opponent top deck something like they top deck the supreme verdict now i have no board what is it how did i win this game what is my plan now how do i answer this take a deep breath figure it out move forward the ability to do that is a really really pinnacle point of like having a very strong mental game and it really does transfer to other other places in your life i think that's like it's just so funny that it's so universal to people who who i feel like get it so yeah yeah i don't have much more to say on this but if it's a thing that like in your tournament and in your life like we just talked about focus on what you can control and try not to let the things you can't consume you in a similar way be kind of thankful for what you have and not jealous of what we don't and this is kind of a silly one because this feels like something that kind of like you hear in like sunday school or someone tries to teach you in your family or something like that you know when you're young and they're like don't be envious of others or whatever but uh, I think it's a big part of magic too, where people have success at the tournament or whatever, you know, and like everyone goes, you and your friends all go to the tournament. Realistically, maybe one of you does well a lot of the time, right? Even in like groups of stronger players, there's just people in the group who aren't going to do well. Like Abe mentioned earlier in the show, magic tournaments pump out losers, right? You're just going to have a bunch of losers and one person who won. And so, you know, don't be jealous of those sort of things. Kind of have it motivate you and not be envious or jealous and be like, this is a thing that I can work towards and improve on. And, you know, focus on what you kind of can control in relation to that, but also just like what you have and the like level up moments and the learning things you had and just not, you know, be envious, et cetera. I, in the old PTQ system, you see your players all the time to like, 
you know, I can't believe the X or Y player who I think is so bad spiked the tournament. Clearly, this game is all luck. I'm just going to quit. And it's like, mm-hmm. if you don't recognize that that is, in fact, jealousy and, you know, I don't know, like, that's a bad mental. Like, I, I, um, it's hard. Like, it is, it is hard to just sit down and not allow yourself to look at the fortunes of others or the perceived luck or whatever it is um and you know Mason said it like you know one of my Sunday school class I thought this was an episode of CC but like it's true I actually had a tweet about this the other day when Mason got to do coverage I was like oh man I'm like really happy for Mason but I'm like low-key jealous here like what's going on um but it is it, it, it doesn't it doesn't impact you it doesn't change your life if that happens. I I don't know what else to say. Like, I also get to do coverage still. Mason doing energy coverage did not change the fact that I also finally get to do coverage on these events that matter to me. It didn't change. Yeah, so many <laughs> fewer things in life than emotionally we treat as zero sum, such that the, the other person having it takes it away from us it's so damaging and like in some way in magical different right like if you lose to someone directly it feels that way but you know if you really did play your best and you lost to someone or like you know someone else played their best and they won um they won a tournament even if you were at that tournament even if they beat you on the way that doesn't take away from or change anything and the same we're talking about think about what you can and can't control that doesn't change anything about your picture, right? Like, in fact, if you're jealous and it makes you feel like you don't want to interact with those people because you are subconsciously, like, distancing yourself from the things you're envious of because you don't like that and you don't like the way it makes you feel, you're going to miss out on opportunities to, you know... If someone asks you to help them test for the RC and they qualified for the RC by beating you in the finals of the RCQ and you're like, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm being spiteful and jealous that they won the RCQ and they're getting to go, you're missing out on the opportunity to test with someone better than you. Some of the biggest experiences I've ever had improving in Magic came from testing with people for Pro Tours that I was not qualified for just because I wanted to help those people succeed and I was grateful for the opportunity to not only help my friends, but then to meet so many players who were also pro tour qualified learn from them and really approaching it with that kind of mindset of not looking at all of the opportunities that you want that you don't have as things that are being gate kept from you by other people who are getting them yeah um but really is something that you know be thankful for the fact that you then might have other opportunities and look forward in your own perspective of what it is you can do to get closer to what you want rather than just being jealous and feeling like you deserved it, right? Because that doesn't get you anywhere. Feeling like it should have been you, it isn't you, right? The the Your perception of that doesn't change anything. And um, you get a lot further by thinking about what you do have and what you can do to, uh, to get closer to your goals. Listen, and that's really like the biggest thing about gratitude. A lot of people have a really hard time feeling entitled. It ha- but it feels like it plagues the magic community in like a really weird way. And I'm not sure... Like, I've been a part of multiple competitive communities, and, like, we we have it bad. <laughs> like, and I, I don't know why, but, like, we're not. We're not entitled to those dubs. We're not entitled to 
anything other than, you know, I, we're not talking about anything. Like, go get some dubs. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't know. Yeah, you're not entitled to that concession. Yeah. When, when you're in turns, you're not entitled to, uh, you're not entitled to, to win the event just because you, like, brought the best deck. You're not yeah. entitled to win the bad matchup. I had a, we had a, we had a really, I, you just reminded me of something. I'm going to give two points and then I'm done with this one. But, like, we had a huge discourse back in PPTQ season where people, like, really hated intentional draws. They're like, they should be removed from Magic. They, like, they just ruined the tournament for everybody else competing. And it's like, no. Win your matches. Like, just win. And then, even this week, I had somebody close to me that I, I think is awesome. They were like, oh yeah, like, you know, the pair down wouldn't scoop to me. And I was like, well, it sounds like you had a bad mental going into it after you asked their concession and they said no. And like, you lost. They're like, yeah, but they couldn't make it. I was like, that doesn't matter. Just like, win your match once they said no that's their prerogative you're not entitled to them saying yes you're not and going into it thinking that you are all it does is it hurts your gameplay throughout the rest of that game because what you're thinking about is how unfair it is that it didn't happen for you so yeah yeah magic players could use a real like wake-up call to there are a lot of things in magic that are outside the game that do matter and then there are a lot of things in magic that players like to think about a lot that matter not nearly as much as they think it does and they should focus on playing better in game and then once they have their in-game stuff down and the technical play really well then they should like look into these other things but like assuming that someone should concede to you especially in a situation i I don't know this situation but it's very easy to imagine a situation where there's like you know prize money on the line or whatever you know it's like yeah maybe you'll get like the rc invite if if i lose you here but i get 300 more dollars where i beat you and i could really use that 300 dollars. that would go a long way for me you know and you have to be respectful of that and is it that different than not getting pared down and losing a match to someone who is an even record the answer is no and you got pared down. If you want to be egotistical about it, you're doing better than them today. Why should you start? Why would you suddenly start losing more than they're losing, you know, or winning less? So I don't know. It's very interesting. Magic players are silly, but no, it's not silly. It's holding yourself to kind of the standards we laid out today and not take the easy way out. Cause I think this is kind of the crescendo of it all, where we've talked about a lot of things and there are a lot of things that are important to having a good mental game and kind of, being honest and truthful with yourself is kind of how we started this and like making the choice, but holding yourself to that choice that we talked about 30 minutes ago is critical to actually succeeding at this. Because if you take the easy way out and you're like, yeah, I mean, like it's true what they said, but also like this person, this situation, da, 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 or, Oh, this sort of factor, da, 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 da. There are things that are going to be exceptions to what we talked about, but they should not be a thing that's, uh, happening to you a whole bunch unless you're the main anime character in life and then congratulations you know but in reality you should be holding yourself to this honest accountability and the standards we talked about today and the standards that we talked about at the beginning i mentioned you know be honest with yourself about what you want from your time and everything if you set your standards to be that of like someone who's consistently qualifying for the pro tour you should hold yourself to those sort of standards and that sort of caliber and having a good mental game and just mindset towards this sort of thing is helpful for life in general 
but also for magic. And if you don't hold yourself to these standards, you're going to fall off and do worse about it and hold yourself back in spots where you shouldn't be. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, like, it's so easy in magic, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, but it's so easy to find places to push the excuses and to, you know, and part of when you have a weak mental is pushing away the things that you could be accountable for, right? Not engaging with the things in your own control, right? Being like, oh, I just like didn't draw another land when you kept a hand that maybe you should have mulliganed because it needed to draw that land or need to draw multiple things for it to even be competitive and you just kept it anyway. Or, um, you know, I like, oh, the root, like it was just bad matchups all day. And it's like, well, did you pick a deck that was actually good in the metagame right now or not? There are so many things that you can do and can say to yourself that you can say, my goal is to have a good mental game and then brush off that responsibility to yourself to hide uh, hide that responsibility and not engage with it. But I would say that thinking about, and, and I think especially having role models has helped me with this, like thinking about someone who you want to emulate and thinking not about like, oh, I want to have their goals, but if I were, if I were Reed Duke, how would I have practiced this week, right? Like if I want to have, if I want to do the same things or if this is the person I want to be like, am I really living up to those standards for myself is a question you can ask yourself to just remind yourself that like it is important and it does matter the effort that you put in because the people who you think about and you idolize, those people do put in the effort and they do see those results because of that. And so if you're not willing to engage with it and you're not willing to keep yourself accountable on engaging with it, um, you know, it won't happen. So. I was going to say what Abe said in the first part of this, and like the accountability is part of having that good mental. So, like that's that's just factual. Um, once you start, it, it it is it is a balancing act. Like you can't overthink things. I know that historically, if you listen to the podcast, you know that I had a problem where I actually went the wrong direction, where I started refusing to believe that there was nothing that I could do, and it hurt it hurt my mental that way. But you have to get to the point where you have, to, you have to do the other part first. Like, before you can get to the point where you're going too far in this direction, you have to actually move in this direction, so. 100%. But hopefully this topic was helpful for you today, talking about the mental game um, and everything, and hopefully this will help you out. It is something that I think is very important. It is not talked about enough in Magic, and it is a big part of it. And kind of keeping a calm, cool, and collected level head where you're being honest with yourself, honest with your goals, and respectful of yourself and kind of what you set out beforehand, I think is very important and is a thing that often separates the good from the great players and, you know, let alone the bad from the good. And so uh, if it's something that you feel like today, like we talked about this and it was something where you're like, wow, I feel like I don't do any of this and I don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're kind of talking about me in a bunch of spots that's not too late this is a thing you can still work on and improve on and hopefully you took something from this episode you can kind of start the journey towards getting a solid mental because if you're gonna do well at magic you're gonna have to be bad matchups and bad things are gonna happen to you and you're gonna get unlucky in spots but just because you've gotten unlucky had that matchup had bad things happen does not not mean you can't win the tournament does not mean you can't succeed at your goals so 
Hopefully that was helpful for the listeners. Spencer, you want to take it to the Patreon question? Yeah, before we do, I want to say that the Patreon question will be changing moving forward. We'll be updating the server to have a Google form to fill out so that we'll be able to track them easier. So that we'll be able to do mailbag episodes a lot easier moving forward. So I just want to let people know that ahead of time, if you start seeing like a link to that instead, that's going to be the reason why. Uh, our first question is, uh, so we're, we're going to do two questions today. Our first question comes from Doug Bear. Uh, and it says, how big is the gap between the best decks in Modern and the lower tier decks? Things like Scam versus Breach, Creativity versus things like Blue Wide or Amulet. Uh, is the gap big enough that playing something other than the top deck is a mistake? Uh, or is Modern open enough that you can play whatever you want and feel good about it? Uh, Mason, you actually asked for some clarity on this one. Yeah, so I asked for some clarity just to make sure I understood what Doug was saying. And if you're at home and maybe it was a little confusing to you too, that's okay. It was for me as well. And basically what Doug's saying here is like, he's not talking about like, oh, creativity and breach versus like, you know, homebrew vampires. He's much more talking about like S tier, like creativity, breach, scam versus like maybe a B tier deck, like blue wet control, amulet, titan, something like that, where, you know, there's like a gap in how good the decks are, the perceived game at large, but it's not some huge gap. We're talking about an unplayable, quote unquote deck by the hive mind versus a top tier deck. Um and I'll I'll just start off with my thoughts here and we can kind of open the door from there. Personally, I think that there's a reason decks are perceived to be the best deck at a time. That does not mean that they are always the best choice for the tournament. It does not mean that they are always the only thing you can or should play. It is much more about that thing we talked about a while ago where if me as a content creator uh am giving you a piece of advice I am responsible in some ways for some people's money. And if I say something, sometimes people will buy cards and stuff like that. So I want to give you a deck that I feel that if you were to play the same tournament a hundred times with, it would give you the best chances of succeeding. And so that's why there are things like S tier decks. And it's like, well, I have tier lists because if perceived how good they are. And also like, if you were to run it back a hundred times every tournament, which one's going to come out on top, which one's going to have the better placement a bunch. And theoretically, Things like Scam, Breach, Creativity, I would argue Hammer right now are some of the best decks in Modern. And if you run a tournament a bunch of times, you're going to succeed with those. But that doesn't mean that you will always succeed. And there can be theoretical spots, metagames, and weeks where things like Blue White, Amulet, Domain Zoo, are act- a Merfolk, I would argue, are actually better choices for the metagame. And so my answer is sort of, but not really, where... I think that if your main goal is winning, you should try to pick one of the decks that's best that you think is going to make the most sense. But sometimes the deck that makes the most sense and is the best deck is the deck that is largely considered a B-tier deck in the week. Something like maybe blue-white control due to things that you think are uh, are going to be happening in the event or the ways you can build your deck. And that doesn't mean that it will always be that way, but sometimes the B deck is the best deck for the week, not the S deck. So... I think Modern's Melee. Like, I think it's basically Melee, and I know that people are going to hate me for saying this, but, like... What you, do you mean by that? I think for that, someone who's invested. Yeah, so, like, uh, it, it typically in, like, a tier... So, tier lists uh, have been out, like, we didn't... We used to talk about, like, Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 in Magic. Like, that was how we talked about it, and we have since adopted the fighting game tier list mentality. And in Melee, there is a very clear... S tier. It is like uh Fox, Marth, Jigglypuff, Falco. Like that's that's the those are the best characters. Those are the those are the four characters that are going to win like 
most events, right? And in modern, it often has three to four decks that are the most likely decks to win an event. However, you also have a tier just below that that could easily win an event. And then you have a tier just below that that, yeah, like this is a good deck choice for this event, right? And it's, I don't know, I, I, I pulled this up really quick. It looks like if you were to ask me, there are 10 characters in Melee that I could see winning an event. Um, there are probably about that many decks in Modern that I could see winning a Modern event. Uh, that means that the difference between Yoshi and Fox, while large, does not hinder you from winning the event. The difference between Amulet, well, I'm going to use Blue-White. I think Blue-White is actually a better example. I think the difference between Blue-White and Creativity right now, while large, would not hinder you from an event. Um, there was a podcast I listened to called Tweak Talks. Um, they actually asked, uh, I'm actually going to recommend it to Adrian because they actually talked about questions and coaching. Uh, go listen to that, Adrian, um, from one of your other Patreon questions. But one of the things that they said that really resonated with me is what is going to make you, as, as you're picking your character, which character is most likely to make you put in the work? Because that is going to be more important at the end of the day than which character you picked. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so true in Magic for me too. Like, yes, the deck choice is important. However, like, if I am miserable the entire time that I'm playing this deck, I my mental will not be good enough. And go ahead. No, no, no you, you, I want to ask you a question when you're done. Yeah, I, and I, yeah. I think that in, in Modern specifically, there are three or four decks that I could see myself putting in the work for that are all within the realm of decks that could win an event. Yeah, I think you and I agree on basically everything you said there. But I have a question for you about something you said. Yeah. So you mentioned if you're miserable, you cannot play the deck kind of well, right? Like it's it's gonna be harder. Like harder, like yes. you could, yeah. Like so, personally, I have had a lot of success playing decks I do not enjoy. Sure. Like I do not enjoy playing the Is It Phoenix deck in Pioneer, sure. and like I just qualified for the RC, and yeah. I find it actively unfun to play Ops and Considers. And I was curious, like, what about that for you is that way? Yeah. Uh, this is a good question. Sorry, finish, finish your question. No, I was just going to say, I, I basically was done. I was just going to say, yeah. what about that? Is it for you? Because I'm curious, because for, for me, I just joke, like kind of jokingly complain to my friends the whole time. And that like gets the stress out for me where it's like, yeah. I won another round and I had no fun because my deck's yeah. boring. Yeah, <laughs> making, making it kind of like that is basically what I have to do too. Like the number of times mm -hmm. where I played like mono red or, or mono white or like, mm -hmm. like burn would be a deck that I'd be like, this is, this is, this is miserable. Like I can't believe I'm doing this. This is the, this is the best. As <laughs> good as it gets. Yeah, I like there. At some point, right? Like it 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 is not necessarily about when I said putting in the work. I'm more talking about preparation parts, right? Not mm -hmm. as much talking about the actual gameplay. Like once I'm in a tournament, I'm just going to try to win with whatever deck I'm playing. But mm -hmm. if it is more likely, like if I end up thinking burn is the best deck, I can go play five rounds of burn before a tournament. And, and like have a solid understanding, but that's from a foundation that I built by playing all of the other decks that I did enjoy to build a foundation in Magic. Now, we actually did run into a spot where that wasn't true. If people remember when I was streaming a lot, I did a full week of streaming Mono Red. I was like, I'm done not being able to win this deck. Um, and now it's a deck that I could just pop in and get Mythic with pretty easily. And it it took a lot of like actually sitting down and buckling down and putting in the work even though I didn't enjoy it. So I'm not 
I'm not saying that you just don't get to not do the work. I'm saying it, at the at the place where I think a lot of our listeners are at, it's mm-hmm. not worth the difference. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I was more interested in uh, a you conversation than even the listeners. Because it was interesting to me. The one thing that stuck out to me there, as you mentioned, in the tournament, you're just like, it is what it is. Burns the best deck. I'm the best deck gamer. I'm going for it. But that doesn't connect in practice. I think it's interesting. I don't. I'm not, not. It's not like an indictment or anything. It's just interesting for me to hear you say that because to me, those are almost tied together, but they don't seem to be for you. Which is it's just interesting how we see things differently. That's all. I was just it, curious. It just depends, right? Like if I'm going to pick yeah. a deck for a tournament, I'm going to go play. I mean, I don't know. I just won an RCQ with a deck that I had literally zero games with before I sat down. Um. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I would enjoy the deck, right? And, like, I made that the process. So it just depends. Sure. Abe, what is yeah. your answer to the question slash all this? That was a really, really great conversation. I actually really agree with uh, what Spencer said about the, like, kind of discretionary effort piece of, like, picking a deck that you like. I, and I think that's because right now the modern format is very, very... The power band is very, very tight. I think that... Um, Obviously, there are decks that are better than others. I think there is a pretty clear existing top tier of decks that are doing the best things. And it's usually like Merc Tide with their Ragavans and stuff, or like Hammer because it's very good naturally against those strategies, or Creativity because it can kind of play a lot of roles um, and it has an unfair finish. So, it's, but but if you're someone who, you know, they're they love playing control decks, they want to play blue white all the time. It's their thing. It's their wheelhouse. They're going to enjoy learning the like not only the 10 known matchups really that you're going to want to make sure that you kind of have an idea of for all the things going on in the format, but then every other corner case matchup that you're going to encounter plus every different build of every aspiring spike deck that is going to be out there in the streets that you didn't, you know, like if you're not playing something you're comfortable with, you're not going to be able to kind of think on the fly. And um, right now I feel like modern is a format where so much of the matches that are interactive are like, I'm going to take apart your plan A, and then we're going to have a slap fight until, like, either a good plan B wins or I win the slap fight, right? And so, like, for Merktide, that's pretty easy. It's like, either I'm going to win by ragavaning you early, or if that fails, I'm going to have Merktide plus Counterspell, right? Like, those are the two phases of the game. They're both really strong, really consistent. But if you're someone who would rather, like do it a different way and know that they're going to be able to navigate their way around the other people doing it their own way with a bunch of really powerful tools. That's going to matter so much more in the end than you playing something you don't really love or want to play because you're going to want to have to play a lot of matches to really know know that if you want to succeed and excel. So yeah, the, the power gap is not that big between the best decks and the next best decks. I think a lot of the best decks lose to the next best decks quite a bit. Like if you think Amulet is a second tier deck, and you think it's just, like, not playable, I don't understand, like... I don't understand how you could think it's that much worse than any of the decks we're talking right. about to say that it's not playable, because it is just still very strong. So, so I would say play whatever makes you happy and whatever is reasonable. Reasonable deck gamers, they yes. live for modern right now. Boom. I love it. That's a good answer. I just... I like to imagine somebody being like, no, Mango, you can't play Falco because you have to play Fox because Fox is better. That'd be stupid. That would be absolutely the dumbest. That would be so dumb. I mean, that, like, no one's going to tell Amsa. No one's going to tell Amsa to stop playing Yoshi, right? right. Like, like wild. You would be insane to do that. 
To be fair, I had to increase it to 10 because of Amsa from the 9 that I would have said could win a major before. <laughs> He's just that good. Should yeah. we go into the actual yeah. Smash question that we have from our patrons? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, so the next question is directed at me. Um, but I I actually would normally avoid this, but I actually think Magic players kind of need to hear about this because we love to whine. But I don't think they realize, like, how good we sometimes have it. Um, so, there was a thing announced a couple years ago before the pandemic called the Smash World Tour. It was something that the Smash players have been asking for for a long, long time. And what this event was is it would be made up of the equivalent of, like, NRGs, SCGs, and GPs that Smash has that are third-party, by the way. So really clear about this. That are run by these grassroots organizers that are trying to get Smash off the ground in their local community. So they're running these events. I've actually played in a Smash World Tour event here in Utah. Run it was, it was a Crown Two. It was really fun. It was amazing. We had the you know players from Japan here. We had like it was it was really cool. Um, it was a whole different type of event than you'd ever see in Magic. Um, well. The Smash World Tour this last week was canceled. And there were a lot of debates as to the reason why. One of the debates was that the CEO of another company that has a license with Nintendo to run an event called the Panda Cup, which is a similar event where it would be like Nintendo's licensed Pro Tour. I don't know how to explain this uh, more better than that, but like basically the belief was that Panda wanted everything that wasn't their event killed, which we are not sure to be true. We're pretty sure that it's not true. Panda is like SCG. So just yeah, imagine it, Panda, it, Amanda, Panda now has a new CEO, but the yeah. old CEO now was like, we're SCG and we think only our event yeah. should matter. Basically they yeah. try to kill like CFB or NRG or whatever. Like it would be like mm -hmm. a really weird thing to do. So um, Nintendo comes out, says we never told them they had to cancel their championship because the culmination of this event is like a Smash World Tour Championship, right? Like the literal best Smash players in the world were going to go play in this event uh, a week before uh, it, they were told that's not happening. So uh, then people went nutso uh, for obvious reasons. Like a million dollars was basically lost for the Smash community between Smash Ultimate and uh, and between like commentators, between you know, the venue between like all this stuff. Um, and my thoughts on this are really interesting. So one, the, the Panda CEO is gone. They're 80% of their staff is gone. They've canceled the, the Panda cup too now. So now we have another huge event that people have already qualified for that are getting, that is now on hiatus. And my thoughts around this are magic players are whiners, like holy freaking crap. Like, we are whiners. We we have it so much better than we will ever admit. And I, I just, like, I feel so bad for these players that, like, spent a whole year qualifying for the Panda Cup, qualifying for the, 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 these tournaments. Like, I, and one thing, one thing that I've noticed from, from playing Smash uh, in tournaments is that how relatable the things that 
other other game grinders go through that magic players go through from like the hotels from the like the travel from the just like the the bad beat stories to like the whole thing it's the same and yet wizards of the coast hires huey jensen to put out a reasonable path to the pro tour a reasonable path to worlds and yet we still drag it through the mud every time while nintendo is actively trying to cancel smash tournaments that they're not associated with it would be like it would be like wizards of the coast going to energy and being like f you you can't run this like we just have it so good guys it could be better i'm not saying it could be better but it is this your first yeah, time about it's, this? it's a lot of, no no it's so i kind of i got like a tertiary glance at it. i didn't really know a lot of the specifics that was that was definitely the gist that i understood but uh, it really makes me think about something you said. Really makes me think about. There was one time I went to play an IQ down near the Dulles Expo Center, which is also the site, not only the site of, of a few great Grand Prix and SCG tours over the years, but also the site of Super SmashCon, which uh, is a community-run major by the Smash community for all the games. And after playing this IQ and scrubbing out, me and my friend just like decided to roll up the Super Smash Con up the street, like 10 minutes away, buy a ticket at the door and just go experience it. And and it was like crazy being the person like at the at the restaurant, like right next to the place and like seeing what is the, ex- what must be what goes through every other sane person's head when they see a bunch of magic players eating and eating breakfast at the McDonald's or like eating at the one restaurant next to the convention center of like, what are these people doing? And like, why is it that they're here? And my heart always goes out to, to that community because when as soon as you're inside there, it's it it must be what it looks like to be in a magic tournament from the outside of like these people are just doing what they love and it's awesome and like I'm glad that it's happening, but I don't really know what's going on. Thank God Smash is really, really fun to watch and I could like watch main stage matches and stuff and we're walking around. But um yeah, my heart always goes out to that community because they they deserve so much better because despite all of the effort that goes into it feels like their events going away they just do not go away. They just like, they've been playing the same GameCube game for 20 plus years, right? They've been playing, you know, like Ultimate. They play, people still play Smash 4. People still play Brawl. People still play the games they don't even like because they like them that much, you know? And and I, I think that the mentality of those players, if Magic players were to, the perspective is always good to understand like how good we have it. And while I do agree, things can be better for for magic and there's still like kings to be ironed out the fact that we have a, a parent company for our game that cares to iron out those kinks is a blessing yeah it is mason's literally wearing a summer hoodie for those listening on the, on the yeah he's it's like uh right scg <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm like wearing an like SCG. the player's championship yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, i'm wearing a like i bought this hoodie and the money that I spent, like, I think it was, like, 90% of it went to the prize pool or something like that. And, like, 10% was the cost or whatever. But, yeah, it's a thing where it's, like, the the game is super cool. And this situation really stinks. And it sucks for the players. And, you know, I don't know. My heart goes out to them. It's really awful. And it's a thing where it's just, like, a company behind the times. And I'm... I'm glad for whatever you have to say about wizards that they are basically with the times on most things. So 
I think I think that the perspective is really what Magic players need to hear because, like, you know, that's that's my thoughts, uh, Yeoman. Like, I, <laughs> I just if that happened to Magic, the internet, our Twitter feed. Can you imagine our Twitter feeds? Like, <laughs> I mean, if Star City hadn't honored the Invitational after the pandemic, they would have been out of business. It like, like, it's like, just it would it would the, our phones would light on fire. Like, <laughs> yeah. So. Just don't. Next time that you're about to like, I don't know, send hit that that send button on that tweet or that mean message because we've all seen those mean messages that those wizards employees be getting. I don't know. Maybe have a little perspective. Also, the mean messages are so stupid. It's like if you saw someone yelling at a waiter <laughs> at a restaurant about like the management's decisions. You'd be like, that person's like a jerk or whatever. It's like not the waiter's choice that you have to wear jeans. Like you can't wear jeans in here. Like the waiter doesn't care. The waiter's just trying to do their job. So when you tweet like, you know, you tweet like at Andrew Brown, why is the organized play like this? It's just like talking to the waiter about like, why did you cook it it like this? It's so much weirder than that though, right? Because like Andrew Brown is like, I had an omelet for breakfast and somebody's Mm -hmm. response to him is F you, you're ruining my game. It's like, it would be like, you see the waiter, like, at Kmart, and you're then harassing them. It's so wild. Anyways, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Contractors. And we have no YouTube comment this week, but you can still go through there and get some of the pure MTG on money if you want to do that. So make sure to check out YouTube.com slash CCMTG. If you enjoyed this week's episode of Contractorism, I'm glad you did. Hopefully it was helpful for you. I thought it was a pretty fun one. You can always support the show by going to patreon.com slash gcmtg. The show is free. If you want to support the show, but you can't do it financially, share with your friends if you think they could learn something from this episode. You know you've got the one friend in the group. We're all thinking about them right now. Drop this in the group chat. Don't at them. That makes it weird. Just drop it. Maybe they'll listen to it. And that's a great way to support us on the show. You can also check out the rest of the Contrary Criticism Network from Drafting Archetypes of Sam Black to uh, Common Knowledge which is a all-popper, a popper podcast. Spencer's bringing back some of the other shows like Mythic Cast, etc. here pretty soon, so that's exciting, so keep an ear out for that. And, Spencer, if someone wants to find you outside of the podcast, where can they go? Yeah, you can find me every week uh, here. Uh, sorry. You can find me at Spencer the Meech on Twitter. You can find me every other week on the Meech Nerd Pod. Um, you can find me on the YouTube channel, as well as a monthly podcast. If you were like, what is this Smash game that all three of these two, these grinders like seem to tertiary know something about for some reason uh yeah i do a, i do a smash podcast every month with matt Kling. our next episode is uh on how every character is kazuya ishima um so it'll be a way more fun one uh yeah check it out at smash through on the he's media youtube channel what about you Abe? uh yeah people can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings uh and my dm still open i have uh, for, for coaching applications, if you want to learn about Hammer Time or any other deck in the modern or pioneer format, um, I do offer coaching still, and I have lots of slots. Um, so yeah, just hit me up for that. And Mason? If you want to find me, you can find me each and every week over at Card Kingdom, where I'm writing an article this week. It's about Pioneer and the history of the last year, kind of a retrospective on everything. It should be pretty exciting. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the mr clark you can find me on energy coverage every time there's an event i should be on only for this sunday's event 
I'll be in the future match area winning the modern event. But then I'm going to step in the booth, let someone else win the Pioneer Tournament. So that's my plan. So you can also, if you see me there, uh, come up to me, say hi if you're watching the video portion of the podcast. I've got a bunch of wristbands. These are going to send out the patrons pretty soon, but I also have a bunch of them. Uh, and they're in my bag. So if you want a wristband, come and say hi to me. And that's about – oh, one thing real quick about coaching. Uh, I you know I, I do coaching, and that's what we can do. At the beginning of next year, I'm going to be taking about a month off from getting new people and doing everything with coaching. I just got some stuff in my life. I can't keep up with it for one month. I plan to hit it back hard after the bird tour in February. So if you want to get in now, now is your chance to lock that in. You can reach out to me via Twitter or email uh, at masonclark at gmail.com is my email. And at masonclark is my Twitter. Uh, and you can lock it in now, but I'm not taking on any new people during the start of the year. It just would be too much. So. That is all. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Constructive Chrism, and we'll see you all next week for another episode of CCMTG.